0: Good morning. My name is Jonathan Ross. I'm one of the elders here. Don't, don't you love coming to a building and church happens? Right? Yeah, we got things breaking out today. I, I can't really put my finger on the exact date that it happened. It probably around the age of 14, maybe 15, where I realized that I didn't have to try in school anymore. And I don't really say that like bragging, I I look back on it actually kind of lamenting, but I figured out that I could get A's and B's really without giving much effort into the work. And so then I get to college and that continues. And I can remember my junior year of college, I took a class called physiological psychology. And I opened up the book and I had no idea how to study. I'd never learned how to study before. And so I open up this book and there's words that I have no idea what they mean. And so what do I do? I shut the book. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to go about that. I'm not retaining anything. So I went, I took the test and I got a C. So now my A's and B's have slipped to B's and C's with an A sprinkled in there every now and then. But I got through college just like that. I, my wife never gets mad, very rarely gets mad. And I can remember one time I wrote an eight page paper in 30 minutes and I got a B on it. And my wife is super, super, super smart. I think 3.9 GPA, nowhere close to, to mine. I won't tell you which side of that I was on. Um, nowhere close to mine. And so she, she gets frustrated that I don't even give any effort into this and I got a B, but I don't, I don't know how to study. And so a lot of times that seeps over into the way that I approach the Bible is, is I don't know how to study sometimes. You know, there's different, there's different rhythms, there's different ways that some people will read a passage, you know, reread it and reread it and reread it, or some people will read it, say it out loud, read it, uh, meditate on it, read it, talk about it. I, I don't know sometimes what works for me in reading the Bible because I never had to condition myself to do that in other ways of life. Maybe you find yourself in those same shoes. So I want us to try something different today. And it's not a new way. It's actually a much older way, and it's called the Ignatian way. And what the Ignatian way is, is that you insert yourself into the text. You insert yourself as the character into the text, And you try to feel what the character's feeling, and you try to emote where the character's emoting, and and you put yourself into the text to see what is happening in that text. And So we're about to read Mark chapter 8, and what I want you to do is I want you to insert yourself as Peter into this text in Mark chapter 8 and to see the Ignatian way of how Peter felt.
1: the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do the people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels.
0: You no, know, I'd had a pretty good life up to that point. It was a blue-collar life. It wasn't necessarily when I was a kid the way that I wanted things to be. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought about getting educated, but quickly realized that education probably wasn't the right path for me. I thought about being a rabbi or a chief priest or one of the teachers of the law, but it just didn't work out. So I did what I knew, and I became a fisherman. Day in, day out. I fished, I fished, I fished. Some days were good and I'd bring home a lot of stuff and other days weren't so good. But I can remember the day that everything changed. I'd been out all night, no sleep. Nets in, nets out, nets in, nets out. You know how many fish I caught that night? Zero. Zero. I'm going back to shore and all that I can think about is I know the first question that my wife is going to ask me when I get back to the house, she's going to say, how many fish did you catch? It always makes me feel horrible when I tell her zero. And so I get back to shore and I'm drying my nets off and putting them up and it takes a lot of work just to get the boat up and I, and I see him over there. We'd never met before. I knew who he was. Andrew, my brother, he had told me who he was, and he had told me really good things about him, but it was just our paths never crossed, and I wasn't, really wasn't that interested in what he had at that point. There was quite a crowd that he had there with him. They were following him, and he walks up to me as I'm putting everything up, and he says, can I get in your boat to speak to these people? The crowd's pressing in on me. I still had a little bit of work left to do, so I said, sure, hoping that he would be short-winded. And he gets in, and he begins to preach, and I'm kind of listening, kind of picking up bits and pieces. Some of it was pretty good. Some of it I agreed with. And he turns to me, and he says, let's take the boat back out to deeper water. And I'm tired out all night. This guy doesn't even know how to fish. And he's telling me to take my boat that I've already cleaned up back out to deeper water. Come on, man. But we did it. The main reason I did it was so that I could say, told you. We get out to deeper water. He tells me to put the nets down. I do. We wait, wait. He says, all right, pull them back up. And I start to pull I couldn't pull it up it's only my boat out there so I call to my friends to bring their boat out there and they come and we get all these fish in and I'm in that moment I'm overwhelmed by all the sin and guilt and dirtiness in my life and I fall on my knees because I know that I'm in the presence of the son of man and I said Lord I'm a sinful man get away from me and you know what he said I'm going to make you fishers of men. My first thought was my wife's going to ask how much that pays. But I was convicted. And so I followed, and everything changed. There was just something about him that was different. I mean, it felt real. We'd had other messiahs come before, and they weren't real, but something felt right about this guy. He had the charisma. He had the way to talk. Man, you should have seen the way he dealt with the Pharisees, with the chief priests. Now, I can remember this one day where uh, we're sitting in the synagogue, and they come up to him and, and they think that they got him and, and they say, Jesus, tell us, by what authority do you do all of these things? And all I think, I look at John and I was like, mm, big mistake. And Jesus says back to him, he, he says, I'll answer your question if you can answer mine. John the Baptist' baptism, was it of God or was it of men? I've never seen the Pharisees speechless before. They huddle up, and they begin talking, and you can hear them. Well, if we say it's of God, then he's going to say, why didn't you follow it? If we say it's of men, the people are going to revolt against us. So they ready break, they get out of the huddle. We don't know. And Jesus says, and I'm not going to answer your question, and he walks away. Nobody walked away from the chief priest. But Jesus did. And it wasn't just that, there's another day where they, they come and it's Sabbath and we're, we're in the synagogue again and Jesus is teaching and he sees them show up and he can see the look on their face and he gets this smirk across his face and he sees this man that's brought to him by some friends and this man's hand is shriveled up. He can't move it at all, it just stays like this. And Jesus tells the man, he says, Stan, stand up in front of everybody. And the man embarrassed, stands up and Jesus looks at everyone and says, tell me, on the Sabbath, Is it better to do good or to do evil? No one answers. Jesus says, stretch your hand out. His hand stretches out. You can use it. Amazing. And instead of embracing the amazingness, you know what the Pharisees do? You know what the chief priests do? They say, we got to find a way to get rid of this guy. And it wasn't just that healing. It's the way that sometimes he did really strange things in the way that he healed people. And he kind of left us like, oh, what's going on here? And like this, this one guy that's brought to him by some friends, he's deaf and he's mute. And he, and he sits down before Jesus and Jesus takes him aside. And you know what Jesus does to, to, to make his ears better, to make his mouth better? He gets his fingers and he sticks them in the man's ears. And he's sitting there with both fingers in his ears. He spits on the ground. He puts it on his tongue. Pow! He can hear he can speak. And I'm like, well, I don't really know why we had to do it that way, but he's Jesus. The end result is the same. I guess if I was deaf, somebody could stick their fingers in my ear and I'd take the chance on it too. It's not medically right, but we'll go with it. I remember my, my mother-in-law was really sick one time, and she's in bed, high fever. We didn't know if she was going to make it. He walks up, he touches her hand, she gets up, and I'm like, maybe we could have held off on that one a little bit. Maybe stretch that out. Didn't have to do it so soon. <laughs> and there's that moment where we're on, we're on the mountain, and it's me and my friends and Jesus, and Jesus is over here, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Moses, Elijah, they show up, and they're in all white. They're beaming, and I just I have these impulses in me that just feels like I have to speak Sometimes. And I don't really know what's about to come out. And so here's these guys that show up out of nowhere. They probably could have left out of nowhere. And all I could think to say is, hey, you want me to make you a tent? Y'all going to stay for dinner? I just had to speak. And Jesus kind of looks at me. He laughs. Uh, that's Peter. Peter. Man, he had these way about him. The way that he taught, he didn't always understand his, his teaching. He would talk about God as an unjust God. He would talk about uh, to really live, you got to be born again. He would talk about gardens. He would talk about seeds being planted. And sometimes I wanted to say, hey, you know, I'm your right-hand guy. Maybe you could pull me aside before you give these messages and uh, enlighten me. And, and I already know what you're trying to say, but enlighten me so that maybe I can enlighten these others because they don't know, but I know. And, you know, a lot of times I find myself standing behind him just shaking my head. And then he looked at me, you know, I'm not real sure what to be doing right now. But I know what you're saying. Just odd teachings, but true stories go on and on and on. I, mean, I can tell you about walking on water, which was awesome. I can tell you about calming storms. I can tell you about drawing in the dirt. I can tell you about being in the garden. All of these things I can, I can tell you about, and you can read the stories, and there's so many more stories about the Messiah and how I knew he was the Messiah. I remember one time we were, we were with all of our friends and and this just huge group, and all of a sudden, a lot of them just start to Abandon and they leave. They said, this teaching's too hard. We can't do this anymore. And Jesus, he looks at me and he says, you don't want to go too, do you? And it was that same impulse that's within me that I feel like I have to speak. And the only thing that would come out is I said, where else would I go? You have the words to eternal life. Then we're walking down the road all of us, all 12 of us, 13 with Jesus. We're walking down the road and we're just chatting. And he looks at me and he says, hey, what are people saying about me? Who do they say I am? Well, some say you're Elijah, some say Moses. Some say you're just a prophet. Some call you some names that I'd rather not say. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And for one of the first times in my life as a student, I thought, this is one that I know. And I said, You are the Messiah. So he starts teaching. And he says, He's going to die. And all these things are going to happen. And I thought, That's not what happens to the Messiah. Does he know the scriptures? And so I pull him aside and I said, hey, I'm not gonna let that happen to you. I'm your right-hand man. Later on, and you're gonna see that uh, when we're in the garden and these people come up to arrest him, the only thing I can think of is pull out my sword. I mean, I go for the kill shot and it's the only time you will ever see the Pharisees lean left is when Malchus leans left and I got that ear but I was going for the kill shot. And you know what Jesus says? He says, put that away. And he puts the ear right back on him. And for the rest of Malchus's life, he's just going like this, walking around. (laughs) That's not what happens to the Messiah. The Messiah doesn't die. He's not supposed to die. You know what the Messiah is supposed to do? He's supposed to enter back into his land, reclaim his throne, kick the Romans out, here we go. We've had a a rough couple hundred years. We're on a tough run right now, but the Messiah is here and it is time for him to reclaim the throne of God, to crush his enemies, to usher in the kingdom of God, to crush all of those who come up against us, to reclaim his time. And I am going to help him do that. That is what Messiah is supposed to do. And you know what he told me? Get behind me, Satan. I've been called a lot of names in life, but that one hurt. Jesus has even changed my name before from Simon to Peter and now Satan. Hold on. Let me educate you on what the Messiah is supposed to be. You're really good at this Messiah thing. Let me take over the strategy part, okay? Because what happens is for the Messiah to do what he is supposed to do, it means you do it with power, and I can't think of a better military commander than one who can multiply food, who can heal the sick, and who can raise people from the dead. That's how you build a military. But he didn't understand that. He didn't understand what the Messiah's role was. And that is the gospel of Peter. Peter. theological difference between the gospel of Peter and the gospel of Jesus, and the two can't coexist. But too often, the gospel of Peter is what we fall into because it's something that we can shape and we can form and we can create how we want it to look. But what does it take for us? How how much do we have to, to scratch to divert from the gospel of Jesus to the gospel of Peter? Does it take a a tough workplace environment? Does it take a, a rough home? Does it take a terrorist attack, a refugee crisis, a Supreme Court ruling, political provocation, religious differences? What does it take for us to move from the gospel of Jesus into feeling like we have to vanquish and crush those who we would see as our enemies Because we think by crushing them that we would usher in the reign of God. What does it take for you? Because that gospel, if you fall into it, it says we know better. Jesus, that's great what you're preaching, but we know better. It's what Peter said. Hey, I know you're saying you need need to die, you need to do all this stuff, but I got a better way. And you know what Jesus' response is to that? Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of men. So for you, what does it take? It's a gospel that's built on fear. It's built on the unknowns, the what ifs, the what may be's that causes us to go into a point of power because we feel like we're losing control and we don't like that. And by power, we think that we can usher in. We think that we can create the narrative of what's to be. You know, if you spend your whole life trying to make sure bad things don't happen to you, a lot of bad things are gonna happen to you. It's not a healthy way to live and it's not who we're called to be in the way of Jesus. It's not who we're called to be in living in truth. Are we so afraid that the way of Jesus might fail that we willingly abandon it into the gospel of Peter? We're afraid that maybe the power of the resurrection actually isn't enough, that we feel like we need to regain control to push off death, to extend the reign. Spoiler alert, it doesn't fail. It is true. And it's not something that we're called to kill for, but it's something that we're called to willingly lay down our lives for. For whoever tries to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for the gospel of Jesus will find it, will save it, will keep it, will gain life, capital L. So what is it that that draws us into that? One of the things that I think is is interesting in that passage of Mark eight is that Jesus's enemies are nowhere in it. His enemies are nowhere to be found in it. So what is the biggest obstacle to the gospel? The biggest obstacle to, to the gospel aren't the enemies to it. It's not it's not Islam, it's not Buddhism, it's not Baha'i, it's not agnostics, it's not atheism, it's not different political preferences, Republican, Democrat, whatever. The biggest obstacle to the way of Jesus are people who misinterpret and mishandle the gospel and preach it From the stance of thinking that they're preaching Jesus into the gospel of Peter. And the gospel of Peter is really easy to believe, and it's really easy to win that way. And you know what you do by winning? You crush people. And so if we look at the battlefield of faith that we have crushed, you'll see a lot of turbans, you'll see a lot of rainbows, you'll see a lot of Make America Great Again hats. You'll see a lot of Republicans, a lot of Democrats, a lot of everything that falls in between. You'll see a lot of different skin colors that we have crushed. And you know what else you'll find at the end of that battlefield is the gospel of Jesus that we have suppressed by the gospel of Peter. It's not... It's not The enemies to the gospel. They they can't stand against the gospel of Jesus. We see that in Scripture. There's no spiritual force that that can stand against the power of God. It's not the enemies. It's when we don't live out who we're called to be and we preach that we are being in the way of Jesus and we're not. And people see that and they say, oh, that must be the way of Jesus, and I want nothing to do with it. If you've heard me preach before, you know it always ends like this What's different tomorrow? Because of what we hear today, because of the Word of God, what's different tomorrow? And here, it's really simple what I want to call you to right here. What's different tomorrow is be faithful come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be faithful, be a faithful spouse, be a faithful friend, be a faithful employee, be a faithful employer, be a faithful child, grandparent, whatever role it is, whatever whatever avenue that God has given you in life, be faithful to the call of Jesus in it. Because what we need to extend the reign of Jesus isn't a lot more of vanquishing and conquering It's a lot more of people taking up the cross of Jesus and pushing forward with the gospel into all areas of life and being faithful to the commission and the commitment of Jesus Christ. Be a faithful coach, be a faithful teacher, be a faithful pastor. Whatever whatever role you've been given, be faithful. Be faithful to the call that you have and we will not be led by fear and power, we will be led by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our prayer today is for a reinvention of the gospel within us, for a restoration of the gospel within us. As we, as we sang earlier, for a new wine, make me a vessel into whatever you want me to be. Because here, here's where we get off track. And, and this is me preaching to myself. Where we get off track is when we say, here I am, and I'm going to let the gospel be a, a branch of me, rather than here is the gospel, here is Jesus Christ, and I want to be a branch of the gospel. Be faithful to the call that you have been given. For I'm convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. So here's the question. It comes back to what Peter said, when Jesus says, you don't wanna go too, do you? Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? If you got a better way, by all means, go for it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we will be faithful to the calling and the gospel of Jesus Christ for the words of life are found in him in no other way. We won't be diverted by fear. We won't be diverted by a need for power, but we will be faithful to the gospel. And that's the challenge that I wanna leave you with this morning. So I'm gonna ask that you stand as we close and let's just let's pray over that Father would you create within us a restoration of the gospel would you restore what we first heard for some of us maybe we never heard the fullness of truth and I pray that today that the fullness of the gospel would be planted in us and that we would have the words of eternal life and that we would be committed to being faithful to the way of Jesus. That we will put aside our need to crush or our need to vanquish or our need to, to put down anything else that we feel like may be an obstacle to the gospel and all we need to do is be faithful to it. We will love, we will speak truth, and we will speak courageously in strength and power. Would you pour over us this morning a new wine? Would you make us your vessels into whatever it is that you want us to be? We will be faithful to that calling in the name of the resurrected Son, Jesus Christ. The church said,